Our first scripture reading today is from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 23. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vanity. Rather, in humility value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of the others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus, who, being God, did not consider equality with God something to be used used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a human, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, because it is God who works in you in order to fulfill God's good purpose. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So a while back, um, Senator Ben Sass, who's the senator from Nebraska, um, one of the senators from Nebraska, wrote a book that was called The Vanishing American Adult. And it was the latest in a line of similar books that you may have heard of. There are things like um, The Closing of the American Mind, or The Coddling of the American Mind, or one of the books that was given to me when my first child was born was called The Benefits of a Skinned Knee. And they're all sort of in the same genre. Ben Sass is a um, history teacher by trade. He was a history professor before he became a senator. And he wrote this book talking about um, how our children don't have enough adversity. They don't have enough adversity. And it was very interesting. The very first story he told was how when he was a child, his father would only turn the air conditioning on for two hours a night. And that was it, two hours a night, that's all you got in the summer when it was hot. And, and it's hot in Nebraska. I mean, we think of the, like the Midwest being flat and kind of cool with lots of wind, but the summer in the Midwest is hot and humid and buggy and it's worse than it is here, if you can believe that. <laughs> My Iowa guy is nodding. Yeah, it's, it's hot. Two hours of air conditioning. And that reminded me of a story that uh, at my very first church, this guy's name was Lewis Carson. And he was from South Carolina, and he was a very tall, stately gentleman. Um, he always wore a sweater vest and a button-down shirt and a bow tie. You know these people, right? You can picture them with a seersucker suit on and like a pork pie hat. Yeah, Lewis. He was a chemical engineer. And um, one time he got up and we were talking about youth and we were having an announcement and he got up and he said, you know what's wrong with youth these days? 
which is always a dangerous opening. And I said, no. And he said, air conditioning. He was not 87 years old, and this was 20 years ago. So yeah, I mean, he'd grow up and up in South Carolina with no air conditioning. He was like, in my day, we slept on the porch, <laughs> right? Some of you may remember these days. We slept on the porch because that was the only place it was cool, and all of us went outside. And he said, you know what? If we just turned the air conditioning off, it would fix everything, which I think is totally wrong, but that's a different discussion. But I do think it's somewhat true that we have gotten so used to affluence that we have a hard time with real adversity. Real adversity. I'm talking about the kind that involves, you know, walking miles to get food, walking miles to get water. Have you ever seen those pictures of the women in Africa with the jars on their head? And they walk all day to go and get water. Sometimes I get a little cranky when we run out of my bubbly water in the refrigerator. Right? Jeremy, you forgot to put, fill it up like it's his responsibility, but it has to be somebody else's fault. We've become so used to affluence, we don't really know what suffering looks like. And so we've invented suffering. This is what has happened. We've invented suffering because human beings are made to overcome adversity. That's what we were designed to do, right? Remember like Davy Crockett who like ventured across the lands with like hatchet in hand, right? And so we invent ways that we can be Davy Crockett. And so we go camping right, for fun, which 100 years ago, our ancestors would have thought was absolutely ridiculous. You mean you were on purpose spending time outside? Like the first thing I did was build a house. Or we garden. And we only garden the vegetables that we enjoy, which is nothing wrong with that. But 100 years ago, our ancestors were gardening to eat. Or my favorite story, Mr. Hugh told me one time, because I told him I was getting chickens. We were, Jeremy had talked me into chickens. And um, Mr. Hugh told me about his mother going out to the chicken yard and killing the chicken and cooking it for dinner. <laughs> right? Or how they would can ham at Scotts Elementary School to make it through the winter. Sometimes I think we maybe have it too easy. I was reading an article the other day about the rise in insomnia among American adults and the rise in anxiety among American teenagers. And one of the things that they linked it to was this lack of adversity. Um, Jeremy's grandfather told him that if he wasn't tired when it was bedtime, he hadn't worked hard enough that day. Right? If you get lay down to go to bed, you hadn't worked hard enough that day. You weren't tired enough. You hadn't physically made yourself tired yet. And I can guarantee you that the nights that I've had insomnia are the nights that I sit on the computer all day, not doing anything, right? So I wonder if we don't have enough adversity. And I also wonder if the church doesn't have enough adversity. American Christianity has become, became such a part of society that it was too easy to be a Christian sometimes. It didn't cost you anything. In fact, it gained you something. I once had a person join our church because he was applying to be a police officer. And they asked him what church he went to, and he didn't have one. And so he joined the church. 
And I wonder if it's made it so that we've never had to really examine what true faith looks like. What it really means when we claim ourselves, that when we talk about being a Christian, what does that really mean? Is it something we tell people in our culture because that's what's expected to say? Is it really a faith? Is it something that's going to sustain us long term? And it turns out that if you don't have any adversity in your faith, if you don't have to overcome anything, if you don't have to struggle with your faith sometimes, if you've never once had a question or a doubt, then there's a good chance when something does happen that your faith will shatter. Faith sometimes should be a little hard. It should require sacrifice. There should be times where we have to make the difficult choice. And it can be too easy sometimes to call ourselves Christian and then not do the things that Jesus would call us to do. First Peter was written to a community of faith that understood suffering on a real level. First Peter was written sometime about 100 AD in the Roman, um, in the Roman world where Christians were being chased, imprisoned, and slaughtered. For their faith. And they said, they asked Peter's disciples who were writing this letter, how do I survive this? How do I survive this? It's hard. And I believe in Jesus, and I know Jesus to be resurrected, and I have had deep moments of faith, but this is hard, and I'm having to risk my life for my faith. How do I do it? Peter's answer was probably not as comforting as they might have looked for. He said this, why do you think your faith is going to be any easier than Jesus' faith was for him? Why do you think you're going to have an easier walk of faith than Jesus had? Jesus, who was chased by the Pharisees, who healed on the Sabbath and got arrested for it. Jesus, who had to claim the mantle of faith in a way that caused him to suffer. First Peter says, if you're going to be a Christian, if you're going to claim that mantle, then sometimes you're going to have to make a choice that's going to put you at odds with your culture. If you look around and everybody's agreeing with you, then you may not be doing faith right. What does that look like? There are moments in our lives where we have to make a choice about which values we're going to live up to. There are moments in our lives where we have to choose whether or not we're going to sit at the lunch table with the weird kid or not. There's going to be moments in our lives where we're going to have to choose whether or not to keep the job that's a little bit shady or work for the boss who asks us to do something that is against our values. We may have to change the way that we understand society and culture, that we may have to choose not to maybe watch the TV show that everybody else is watching because, yeah, that's not great choices right there. And it's not fun, and it's not easy, and it's not something that makes you cool all the time. And sometimes, 
those hard choices are going to lead to real suffering. I had a friend who worked for a guy, he was um, an accountant, and um, sometimes accountants get bad names because they cut corners. And his boss asked him to do something that was a little shady on a tax return because it was a very dear client, very important client, right? It was one of those clients that if they lose the client, the firm goes under, you know what I'm talking about? And he needed that job, he needed it you know, to feed his family. It was a real choice. He said, do I do this thing that's a little bit shady? Do I do this thing that is going to be difficult? It's just one little thing. It's not a big deal. Nobody else will probably know about it. And he decided instead to stand up to his boss and not do it. And he lost his job because his boss needed that client. He ended up becoming a minister, which has its own ethical issues. Don't get <laughs> <laughs> Not claiming ministers don't always make the, you know, always make the right choices. Or another story. If you're old enough, you remember the Enron crisis in the early 2000s, vaguely, where they were, um, they were double cooking the books. So they had one set of books that they said was the real books that they turned into the IRS, and then they had another set of books that was the actual money that they were making, Right. Does anybody remember who the chairman of, the, of Enron was? Do you remember the name? Okay, it was a guy named Ken Lay, right? Do you want to know an interesting fact about Ken Lay? He was clerk of session at First Presbyterian Church of Dallas, Texas. Elder, clerk of session, thief, right? Sometimes it's easier to make money than it is to do the right thing. I don't know what this looks like in your life. Every life is going to have its own choices and its own challenges. But in the end, what really matters on our journey of faith is whether we can stand up with integrity and say, we are doing what we are called to do. Because I promise you, in the end, when all things are done, that's what's going to matter. That you lived your life with integrity and that faith meant something. And when you told people that you believed in God, that you made the choices that sometimes required suffering, but which allowed you to go to sleep at night, resting fully in the love of God, who, by the way, is going to love you even when you make the terrible choices. Sometimes we need a little suffering if we're going to walk this walk with God. And that, believe it or not, is the good news of the gospel. Amen.